Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to the things you want us to see. And enlighten us, Father, in the things that you want to show us today. So we thank you. We give you praise and glory in your son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Numbers. Bamidbar. Ralphie put up a great graphic there of... Uh, this was the first shish kebab, by the way. So uh, the, the whole idea of skewer <laughs> may have come from this moment. But what's interesting is, before we dig in, just to get perspective of what, where we're at here, remember they've, they've come, they're about to cross over. Moses, we were at the end of Numbers. We're about to begin Deuteronomy. He's going to now dictate to them uh, what God has said. He's going to bring them into the terms of the covenant. This, that they're entering into a, a covenant here with him besides the one that was, that was done at Sinai. And, of course, they do another one when they get across the, the, the river. But there's an ante up here going on. Uh, there's going to be a circumcision happening. And, obviously, there's, because of what's happened here, wickedness, uh, more are going to perish here in this wickedness that takes place. Um, and I want us to remember that we have the Midianites that wanted the cursing here to, to go through Balaam and didn't happen. God wouldn't allow it, but guess what they do? They contrive this plan to deceive the children, say, you know, we'll, we'll just have them mix with the people. We know that their God will, will uh, curse them and bring punishment on them for, for mixing with the other people. And their plan works to a degree because God steps in and they make a mistake here by going into a into a sanctified spot and doing the unthinkable and a man that's zealous for the almighty and by the way zealous is also used for jealousy but there's two types of this word jealousy there's uh, two hebrew words for it um, and so always always be mindful of that when you're looking at the words but this one is he's jealousy for him, for his, his righteousness and sanctity. He does not like that the sanctity has been tr trampled upon, the sanctity of God. So, welcome everyone online. Welcome everybody here. We want to thank you for being a part of our fellowship and uh, study today. So I kind of told you what we're going to be sharing about. We're going to talk about um, in, in the short period of time that I had to study this week, uh, the, I noticed that uh, our prophet portion was about Elijah running for his life. And Elijah's in a crisis. He's in a, he's in a uh, stressful situation. And I want to really focus in on stressful situations because you know what? Uh, you could be at home and uh, the dogs tear something up and it becomes a stressful situation where you're screaming at the dogs. You could have... Uh, which happened to me, your car broke down on the freeway, 
at 115, I think it was 117 that day. I had just moved here and I, I tried to change the tire, but I couldn't handle the, the, the metal because it was too hot for me to touch. So I had to take my nice shirt off and use my shirt as gloves. And uh, because I, you know, the, the, the jack and all that stuff, I couldn't touch it. It was too, even in the car, I couldn't out. It just was burning hot. I can't handle heat by hand very much anyway. But so, uh, you know, these are stressful situations. You get pulled over by the police and you're thinking you're going to get a ticket. I mean, stressful situations. You name it. How many of you have had stressful situations over the last week or two? Yeah. So Elijah is in this position. So we're going to get into that as we move along how God wants us to deal with situations like that. So I first want to bring up a graphic. I want you to notice between the numbering of the children of Israel back at the beginning of Numbers and the numbering here, there's a big difference in some of these tribes. Big difference. Now the total number is only changed, diminished by 2,000, no, 1,800. But if you can see, Simeon went up went down from 59,000 to 37, or to 22,000. That's a big change. And if you remember what Simeon did with his brothers, how they went and were slaughtering, I don't know all, I wouldn't pretend to know all the things that's happening, but some of this slaughtering uh, could, could have happened with the plague that happened here with the, with the uh, uh, Phinehas spearing and then the plague that went out. But this is a big number. And then some of them increase. Judah goes up by a couple thousand. Ishakar goes up. Zebulun goes up. Ephraim goes down by 8,000. 8, Manasseh goes up. Benjamin goes up. Dan goes up by, imagine that, goes up by a couple thousand. So you can see the differences. And you know what's interesting is, well, share a thought with you, just a thought for you to consider. In the land of Israel, or I'm sorry, in the land of Egypt, when the Israelites were there sojourning during the duration they were there, part of the time that they were there, things were going fairly good because Yosef is, he's the second in command, right? And his sons are growing up among the children of Israel, and they've got favor and blessing because, hey, my dad's the, he's the top dog here, and all is going well. And there is some archaeological evidence and some thoughts that some may have left Egypt before all the things went bad and ended up going down to the land of Israel. And so some of the thoughts out there, I haven't had a chance to study it out enough, but based on supposedly archaeological evidence that the reason that Menashe is so strong from the one to the other is that some of these were there already. Just something to consider. I mean, it would be interesting to think that that if if you're Joseph and you've got your your two sons and your your second in command of Egypt, you know that your father was given a uh, a a promise over that land. What if you know Joseph said, "I'm going to send a little small little group down there to kind of watch over, kind of prepare things for us because we are going to go there at some point." And maybe it was ended up being longer than they thought. It was just a thought. So yes, go ahead. That's why they had so many numbers. Because they had others besides mixed tribe Israelites. They were all mixed into Manasseh. Yep. 
Yeah, and we know a mixed multitude came out of Egypt. Yeah, obviously a mixed multitude came out. So something to keep in mind as you as you read and think about some of the things in Scripture. So we're going to move to Numbers 25:10, and it says, "And Yahweh spoke to Moshe, saying, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aharon, the priest, has turned back my wrath. He's done something because he he was thinking of me and my sanctity. He's turned my wrath back." Because he was ardent with my ardor in the midst, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my ardor. This word ardor is zeal, and it can mean jealousy, zeal. Uh, the theological workbook of the Old Testament says, really, my zeal, his zeal, the zeal of the Almighty. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, and this word is kanati. The other word it can be kana. So there's a little bit of difference in, some, in the two words of the, the two jealousy words. So, what did Phinehas get as a result of his what? Covenant of what? Peace. Covenant of Shalom. Is it, a, is it just for a short period of time or is it everlasting? Everlasting. What a deal to get, huh? Man, what a, what a sign to get from the Almighty as an eternal. Wow. Amazing. I want to read to you in Ezekiel 36.6. It says, therefore, and were you talking about the same word here of jealousy? Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and you shall say to the mountains and to the hills, to the rivers, to the valleys, thus said the master Yahuwah, see, I have spoken in my jealousy and my wrath, because you have borne the shame of the Gentiles. This word shame is the Hebrew word kilimah, and it means confusion, dishonor, reproach, shame. The prophets, the, the theological workbook of the Old Testament says the prophets promised that shame would come from another quarter, defeat and captivity, if they would not be embarrassed and ashamed because of their sins. How many of you know that some people aren't embarrassed by it, the type of iniquity and wickedness that comes forth? They're not embarrassed or shamed at all. The two that go into the sanctity of God's sanctification realm, were they embarrassed or ashamed about going in there and do that? No. You know what they were thinking about? Flesh. Me, 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 what I want. And the Midianite woman had probably convinced him to do it. And they, I mean, do you think that maybe the Midianites understood that their God had a sanctity and there was a way to defile it and maybe she was doing something to, to uh, bring wrath and to bring uh, um, violation of that realm? Very possible that she understood all that. So I know sometimes there might be a misunderstanding that they went into the tent of meeting. They didn't go into the tent of meeting. Uh, the word there is ohal, ohel. And so, but they came into the camp of a set-apart people. And they actually went into the kuba, which would be his tent. So it's still his set-apart people. Yep. Yep. And he did it a high-handed sin boldly in front of this while the women were weeping outside of the tent of meeting and because yeah so he, he like doing something in a prayer meeting that would he, be he was very zealous yeah uh the tent of meeting itself was guarded because it said not even the stranger could come in so that meant that even an israelite who was not uh, uh part of the uh, uh 
Levi, they would not be able to go into that place. So yeah, that was guarded. But he brought this woman into the camp boldly and decided just to boldly go ahead and commit this sin. Amen. Yes. Yeah, speaking about uh, being shame or shameless, it just reminded me of um, Jeremiah 3, uh, 2-3. <clears throat> it says, Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see, where have ye not been ravished? By the wayside ye have set awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. Ye have polluted the land with your vile hornum. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a whore, and you refuse to be ashamed. Mm. You know, it's like this guy, he just had no shame. And that's something that we need to be careful of because, you know, when you're, you start dabbling with sin, there's a real danger that you just grow a callus to it. And before you know it, you just, because when you start doing stuff like that, you're ashamed about it. Yeah. You're afraid what people are going to see, yeah. what they're going to say. But over time, you're not going to carry anymore. And you, it's like you have that, you know, when you think about prostitute, you're driving by and you see, you're like, oh, how shameful that is. But she's not shamed. Yeah. She's out there like, I don't care what you guys think. Yeah. And we got to be careful. When That's we're right. living in sin, whatever it is, you got to be careful. Seek repentance and just, you know, listen to the Spirit. And, and not only are we to be ashamed of our own sin, but we're to be ashamed of others' sin. You know, this is, is God's ashamed. That's the heart of God. And that reminds me of when they found the Torah that had been on the shelf for all these numbers of years, and the king had it read before him. He was ashamed that they had not done the things that God had asked them to do. Torah is closed. And like, man, this is shameful. God Almighty has spoken us what he wants us to do. And we have we had no clue. How terrible is this? So uh, Israel will not be will not finally be ashamed through God's punishment, rather through his goodness. According to Ezekiel, it is when Elohim is undeserved, his undeserved grace restores Israel and defends her, that Israel will become truly ashamed of the way she has treated him. Man, that's heavy stuff. Numbers going on in verse 16, distress the Midianites, smite them. This word distress is sarar. The basic meaning of this term includes the idea of showing hostility, Disturbing, distressing, harassing. There are a number of references in the Psalms that indicate emotional distress, trouble, or affliction in different specific circumstances. These are situations that are stressful, stressful situations. And finally, there are texts in which our word indicates hostility and oppression towards the enemies of Israel as part of the divine judgment against them, as well as indicating the deliverance of Israel as a result of the oppression of those enemies. Sarar is the Hebrew word here. So I want to remind you about the stress of the ancient Israelites face when leaving Egypt. I mean, I mean, if some told, someone told you, oh, you've, you've got to be out of your house in two hours. It would be stressful. The bigger your family is, the more stressful it's going to be. The more animals you got, I mean, it just compounds from there. I mean, it would be we think about how joyous it would be, but it, that even, even in the midst of the joy we're going to get out of here, there's some stress involved. So can you imagine some of the attitudes and everything as they're moving out? Uh, one guy's little cart runs over 
you know, someone's foot. And, you know, there's all these things happening we, we don't even think about, but it's stress. How about the stress Elijah faced? We're going to talk about here a minute. After he's turning to the Israelites, to, turning the, the Israelites to Elohim. Or the stress of King David when he faced running from King Saul. You read it in the Psalms. He's totally stressed. This is it's hard whenever someone's wanting to kill you and you're trying to find a crack or crevice or a hole or a place to hide in because they're searching you out. It'd be like a thousand men hunting over the city and they're hunting for you specifically and they're going door to door to find you. And when they find you, they're going to, it's not taking you to jail, they're going to kill you. Very stressful situation. How about the stress that Paul in the New Testament faced during his ministry? He tells you all the stuff that he endured. Prison, beatings, all this stuff. Stressful, stressful stuff. And of course the stress that Joseph endured with slavery, prison, and the issues that he had with his brother. So I want to remind you that as you go through the stresses of your week, you're not the first, you won't be the last, but we've got examples of what happened to these men and women, because women went through the stresses too, and how they handled it, what, what did they do? And some of the times, it wasn't good handling. They didn't do a good job handling the stress. So we're going to focus on Elijah and Amos today and 1 Kings. So in 1 Kings 18, please raise your hand if you've got comments. I'd like to hear from you as we read. Uh, our. This is our prophet portion. Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Eliyahu went up to the top of Carmel. He bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees and said to his servant, Go up, please, look closely toward the sea. So he went up and looked closely and said, Not a speck. And seven times he said, Go again. There's that seven times. There's something in his mind saying, I need to have him do it seven times. And it came to be the seventh time that he said, See, a little cloud as small as a man's hand is coming out of the sea. Now, I want to encourage you, and I think Lisa will like this. If you look in the Septuagint, I forgot to put it here. I should have put it here. But in the Septuagint on this verse, it says, A cloud as small as a footprint is coming. There's our footprint word again. So a cloud as small as a man's footprint is coming out of the sea. And he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Hitch up and go down before the rain stops you. And in the meantime, it came to be that the heavens became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain while Ahab rode and went to Israel. And the hand of Yahweh was on Eliyahu, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Israel. And when Ahab reported to Isabel all that Eliyahu had done, Jezebel is the word, also, how he slew all the prophets with the sword, Jezebel sent a messenger to Eliyahu and said, So let the mighty ones do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Man, do you know how hard that would be to know that a decree had come against you to kill you? And they've got the manpower. They've got the manpower to start hunting you out and searching you out. And you're now going to be on the run for your life and you've got to turn to the only help that you got, the one that you know can rescue you, that can deliver you. You start calling upon the name of the Most High. God rescue me, as David did. So, he feared, rose up, ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Yehuda, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a broom tree, and prayed that he might die. 
How, how stressful does it got to be that you got to pray you're going to die? I mean, that's heavy duty. I mean, you're thinking, you're, I mean, just, oh, man. He said, it is enough. Now, Yahweh, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I want to remind you that Beersheba was this one, was one of the regional centers of the biblical Negev, which is the south, which served as a major gateway into Judah and Hebron. The site is known for its well-preserved gate, public buildings, domestic quarter, reconstructed four-horned altars. By mentioning Elijah's arrival at Beersheba, the biblical author must most likely intended to note that the prophet was far beyond the borders of Ahab's kingdom and about to enter the dangerous and foreboding wilderness that lay beyond the southern kingdom of Judah. He's going to enter in. He's, he's getting out of the reaches of the guy that wants to kill him, but you're going to go into the place where there's lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You may be laying down with the scorpions. You may be laying down with the adder. It, it's not going to be a fun thing to do, right? And just so you know, this is a picture of Beersheba. This is an archaeological site of what it looked like. Notice it's on a, a tell, a mound that's elevated. And oftentimes they, they would build a, a walled structure around the city to protect it from people. And then you would have a gate entrance that would come in. So you'd have to go through a series of, of gates with guards to be able to get into the city. So this is what uh, Elijah is coming up onto this mound, uh, what, which is... To him, it's like maybe a, a stronghold. Maybe it's a, a place of refuge. And he lay and slept under this broom tree, and he see a messenger touched him and said, Rise, eat. And he looked and saw by his head a cake, a, a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and turned and lay down. Now this is one of those moments. I remember one of you said when... Um, Balaam heard the donkey speak, and the scriptures doesn't say that he says, "What are you talking? What what are you doing? I'm, what's this you're speaking?" I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, why didn't Elijah say something to the one who touched him? Why? Where's the conversation at? Wow, dude, who are you? Where did all this come from? What's this amazing thing? You know, I'm sure. I mean, I would like to think that something was said. I mean. I, the, 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 the text tells us he just eats, drinks, just plops back down. But, I mean, come on. There's got to be some dialogue here. How many of you would just see that out of the blue, seeing this amazing entity, individual standing before you, and you just pop it down and say, thank you, and lay down? I mean, probably not any of us, I'm guessing. But it's really a crazy thing. And so the messenger of Yahweh came back the second time, touched him again, and said, Rise and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he rises up again, and he drinks, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days. Now, I know that there are some that can go on nothing for 40 days. It's happened. I mean, I know of people that have done it. Uh, but this is a, it's an amazing thing, because not only are you just going on a fast for 40 days and kind of doing light work, but he's running. He's, he's exerting. He's burning calories. Mega calories are being burnt on his journey, right? And so it's interesting that when we are calling upon God, I mean, he calls on God, he asked to have his life taken, but he's calling on the Most High for help, and the Most High is going to give him the help that he's asking for. And I think the key is cry out. 
I mean, cry out to God when you ask him for stuff. Cry out to him. Let him know. Invoke him into the situation. And there he went into a cave and spent the night there. How many of you have heard where this cave is? It's down there by uh, Sinai, right? How many of you heard that? It's over in Midian. It's down there not too... F- really, the next mountain over from the mountain of God, right? Spent the night there and see the word of Yahweh came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous, zealous, kinati for Elohim Zevaot. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have slain your prophets with a sword. But I am left alone, and they seek my life to take it. Now, I like it whenever God shows you something that you think it's one thing, but God's going to show you it isn't quite like what you think. Not quite like you think it is. By the way, this is the horned altar discovered at Tel Beersheba. Contrary to the Torah of Moses, this horned altar was fashioned out of cut stones. You can see that that's a no-no. They're doing something that's not supposed to be done. Altars are not to be used. They should not look like that where they've been cut and, and made smooth and look good. This should be just rocks and stones you grab. Whatever they look like, it's whatever they're going to look like, and you make it. But this is what they found in excavations at Beersheba. They also found one like this, cut stones. Maybe people said, you know what? The jagged one doesn't look so pretty. This one here is going to look better. And so man says, I think that it might be better this way. I think that it'll look better this way. And God says, I didn't want you to think. I wanted you to do what I asked you to do. I didn't tell you to think how it should look. I told you to take stones and build the altar. Just like he's telling Elijah, don't think about it. Eat, drink, and run. What you do? Eat, drink, and run. Some of you might eat, drink, and throw a party. <laughs> Some of you might eat, drink, and have a, a wonderful conversation. But Elijah's going to eat, drink, and run. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before Yahuwah and see. Yahuwah passed by, and a great and strong wind tearing the mountains and breaking the rocks in pieces. I got to tell you, that would be unbelievable. For witness. See God Almighty pass and you see the earthquakes shaking and just you barely can stand and it's rending the mountain, breaking rocks, tearing everything in pieces. The Yahweh was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, the Yahweh was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, Yahweh was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. How many of you heard the voice? Yes? Ooh. Huh? Let's look at the Hebrew word for earthquake. It's ra'ash. Where this word is translated earthquake, the contexts are both literal and metaphorical. For example, it refers to an earthquake experienced by Elijah as a sign given by God immediately prior to him speaking to the prophet. Then Amos 1.1 and Zechariah 14.5 refer to an earthquake at the time of Uzziah and Jeroboam 2, possibly as a divine judgment against his people. So people will say, well, the earthquake shakes. It's just 
it's the it's the volcano it's it's the lava under the ground does it it's you know nobody wants to give god the credit but what does god say here or what is the what does it say here it's divine judgment by the almighty for the wickedness of the people he brings these earthquakes for a reason so what is implicit in these two texts however is quite explicit in isaiah 29 5 where Elohim threatens an earthquake upon his people in Jerusalem and Judah as part of their punishment for rebellion against him. And finally, in Ezekiel 3, 12 and 13, there is a metaphorical reference to an earthquake as part of God's revelation to the prophet in the vision of the mysterious angelic beings in the heavenly throne room. Wow. And people would want to write earthquakes off as just, this is just a natural thing. Come on, God doesn't control that stuff. God has nothing to do with that. This is just a natural phenomenon that happened. Eh, sorry. I ain't buying it. Going on in our text. And it came to be when Eliyahu heard it that he wrapped his face in his robe and went out and stood at the cave opening and see a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for Yahweh Zavot, for the children have forsaken the covenant. And I am alone. And it goes on to say, And Yahweh said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and you shall go in and anoint Hazael as sovereign over Aram. Now, what in the world is God sending this prophet over to Syria, to Damascus, to a king that's not anything to do with the nation of Israel? What's happening here? Much like we see God was totally interested in Nineveh and sent a prophet to them to repent, we would think that God's not interested in the affairs of world and all things are happening. We've got examples that tell us otherwise, that He is. He is interested. And it shall be, uh, it says, and anoint Yahu, son of Nimshi, as sovereign over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, as prophet in your place. And it will be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Yehu does kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Yehu, Elisha kills. And I shall leave 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah thinks he's alone. He thinks he's all by himself. He thinks there's no one left. They've all been slaughtered. And God goes, guess what, bro? I've got 7,000 saints that are true to my covenant. 7,000 that believe in following what I said. 7,000 that worship me. 7,000 never looked upon Baal, never kissed it, touched it, won't have anything to do with that wickedness. 7,000 are swearing allegiance to me, Yahuwah Zebaot, King of Kings. Talk about an eye-opener. <laughs> Even though Elijah thought he was alone, he showed him, I have a remnant. Elijah was humbled before God's words. Let's switch to Amos, chapter 7. This is what the master Yahuwah showed me. And see, he was forming locusts, swarms at the beginning of a late crop. By the way, after all of the stress that Elijah is experiencing, look at the good things that he gets from the Almighty and look at 
the words that he gets to hear of comfort. He's distressed because he thinks everybody has forsaken the covenant. He's distressed and, uh, uh, because he thinks that all is wiped out. There's no more righteous but him. And he gets to hear these great words from the king. Nope. There's a whole bunch more, brother. And this is why he's going to send Elisha because there's a whole lot of other people that God wants to speak to through the prophet. Wonderful, wonderful thing. So he was forming locust swarms at the beginning of the late crop, and see, it was at the late crop after the mowings of the sovereign. And it came to be when he had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, O oh, Master, Yahweh, forgive, I pray. How does Yaakov survive? For he is small. So this is something you can kind of get an idea of the time of the year. So when would be a late crop? What would be, in your estimation, a late crop? You get a kind of an idea of the timing of the year, huh? Yeah. Well past probably June for sure at least, yeah. Late crop. Anybody else have a thought on that? Late crop probably somewhere after that time. So kind of get an idea of the timing of the year, right? So when they get came time, they finished eating the grass land. I said, oh, Master Yahweh, forgive, I pray. How does Yahweh survive? Yahweh relented concerning this. It shall not be, said Yahweh. This is what the Master Yahuwah showed me. And see, the Master Yahuwah was calling to contend by fire. And it consumed the great deep and did consume the portion. And I said, oh, Master Yahuwah, please stop. How does Yaakov survive? For he is small. Yahuwah relented concerning this. This shall not be either, said Master Yahuwah. This is what he showed me. And see, Yahuwah stood on a wall made with a plumb line and with a plumb line in his hand. And Yahuwah said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And Yahuwah said, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. No longer do I pardon them. And the high places of Yitzhak shall be laid waste. And the set apart places of Israel shall be destroyed. And I shall rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, sovereign of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. Of course, we're talking about the northern kingdom here. The land is not able to endure all of his words. For this is what Amos said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel certainly will be exiled from their own land. Now you talk about a stressful moment. Even if you're in sin, and you've had a decree from the Most High that you're going to Jeroboam's hearing he's going to die and the nation's going to be taken into captivity out of the land of promise. That would be pretty stressful. Imagine what would be going on. Imagine the wicked people that are only thinking about money, what they're going to be doing with the crops and the lands and how they can take advantage of the situation. Time is short. If you all knew that the Messiah was coming in three months, and that this whole, everything we know is going to be turned upside down in three months, how would it change? How would it change you? Now for me, I, I would be really joyous, but I can tell you stressful situations are going to come because the world isn't going to be joyous. They're not going to be happy that this is going to take place. And Amaziah said to Amos, Go, see, go, you seer, flee to the land of Yehuda and eat bread and prophesy there. But don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. 
for it is the sovereign set-apart place, and it is the house of the rain. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I a son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore trees. Don't call me a prophet. I'm just this guy here that's farming. But Yahweh took me from behind the flock, and Yahweh said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. And now hear the word of Yahweh you are saying. Do not prophesy against Israel, and do not drop words against the house of Yitzhak. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Your wife shall become a whore in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, your land will be divided by a measuring line, and you die in a defiled land, and Israel shall certainly be exiled from this land. Whoa. That's pretty heavy. Man. Try to swallow that pill. If his wife heard that, she might have taken off running. I've got to get out of this house. <laughs> Let me get away from this guy. There's some destruction coming here. I'm going to I get, I'm going, I'm, I'm migrating to another nation right now. I remind you of Acts 3.19. This is what should be going on in the northern kingdom as they hear the words of the Most High. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of Yahuwah. So when you're having a stressful time, things are under stress, Come to him. It never hurts to clean the slate. You know, there may be something you're not aware of. Repent. Say, God, forgive me. Whatever I'm doing, help me through this stressful situation. Go before me, Most High. I am your child. You have, a, you have set your words in my heart and my mind. I stumble, but I, I seek your face, and I want to walk in your ways, and I want to please you. Please deliver me. Help me through this stressful situation. Isaiah 66, 2 says, and all, and all these my hand have made, and all these that exist, declares Yahuwah. Yet to such a one I look, on him who is poor and bruised of spirit, and who trembles at my word. You think the northern kingdom was trembling whenever it was delivered? No. They didn't tremble. They didn't listen. I want to remind you, too, that we want to be, as a people, making sure that our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. I'm going to kind of explain that as we read Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. And when the Son of Adam comes in his esteem, and all the set-apart messengers with him, then he shall sit on the throne of his esteem, and all the nations shall be gathered before him, and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and on the goats on his left, then the sovereign will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the reign prepared from you from the foundation of the world. From way long ago, this has been prepared for you. For I was hungry, and here comes the righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. The Pharisees were not doing these things. Okay? Here's, here's how your righteousness needs to exceed the, the, the way of the Pharisees. And it says, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, 
But Master, when did we see you in these situations? Feed you, thirsty, gave you drink. When did we see you stranger and took you in or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick and in prison? We came to you. And the sovereign shall answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, in as far as much as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. One of the least of the brothers. If you do it to the least of your brethren, you're doing it to me. And the sovereign shall answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, in so far as you did not do to the least of these, my brothers, that you did to me, he shall then also say to those on the left hand, Go away from me, accursed ones, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his messengers. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. A stranger, you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will say to the master, When did we see you these ways? And those, he says, he says, As far as you did not do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Let us be mindful to make sure that our righteousness exceeds the examples of the Pharisees. We don't want to be stingy. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be holding back from brethren that are hurting and in need. So, a very interesting example of exceeding the Pharisees' righteousness. This is our New Testament portion this week, Ephesians chapter 4. And more encouragement us as a body, more encouragement for us, especially in times of stress. Oh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, going back to that slide. So this is something that came before the, me this morning as I was praying, and I've already shared this with you and my sister and brother-in-law. But I think it fits in to what you have said here, and that is what I saw just in my prayer meditation time this morning, what came before me was the sin of Cain in the story of Cain and Abel. The mistakes that he made, and one of those was obviously the murder of his brother Abel, but the other was when our father asked Cain, where is your brother? And he answered and says, basically I'm going to put it in my own words, you know, I, I don't know where he's at. Am I supposed to, you know, know where my brother's at all the time? My his keeper? And I think what the father was saying to him is we are to care for our brother. We are to know where he's at, what he needs. Is he hurting? Does he need something? Is there a need that I could fill? We're a part of a greater family. We're scattered all over. And I think it's important that we know that the Father cares for us where he's placed us, and we need to care for our brother wherever they're at. Yeah. And I'm thankful that we have an assembly here that has a heart to care for one another. I mean, look at the food. I mean, there was some amazing cupcakes brought in. There was... Uh, there was things that were brought from each of you that are amazing that contribute and so and it doesn't hurt to be reminded that we you know watch out for our brothers take care of our brothers and so our new Preston portion says uh, I call upon you therefore I the prisoner of the master to walk worthily of the calling with which you were called with all humility meekness patience bearing with one another in love 
being eager to guard the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, one body, one Spirit, as you also were called in one expectation of your calling, one Master, one belief, one immersion, one Elohim and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all of you, so that we should no longer be children tossed and borne about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men and cleverness and to the craftiness of leading astray, but maintaining the truth and love. We grow up in all respects into him who is the head Messiah, from whom the entire body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the working by which each part does its share causes growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Think about Elijah, how this applied to Elijah. I mean, there's a body of people there. 7,000 that God knows hasn't bowed to him. But God, Elijah's concerned about the rest of the brethren. Elijah's concerned. He, he just had to, you know, false prophets had to die. This is a terrible thing. But again, God wants us to be mindful of the, the body, the unity, the love. The, his, he's merciful. He's gracious. Building up everybody in love. I'll remind you of Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your stressful souls in me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You're going to find rest. You're going to find comfort. You're going to find those things in him. And here's the key. As a yoke is heavy wooden harness that fits over the shoulders of an ox or an oxen, it's attached to a piece of equipment that the oxen are to pull. A, per a person may be carrying heavy burdens, sin, excessive demands, oppression, persecution, weariness, search for God, might be a job, might be money. Who knows what it is? It's, you're feeling the weight of the implement that the ox is carrying on. The yoke of life, the yoke of, of, of this world is heavy upon you. Stress at your job or home. But remember, the stress of Joseph, the stress of David we talked about, the end result is Elohim will bring you through it as long as your eyes and trust is on Him. As long as your laser beam eyes are focused on Him, as long as your trust is in Him and you haven't, been, you haven't given way to Falling at the weight of the yoke, the, the yoke, or following at the weight of the stress, or following at the, the, the things that are coming upon you, you maintain, you go, Father, I, this is happening. I know it's happening, but I'm going to keep my eyes on you. My trust is in you. This is what Elijah was doing. Elijah was hoping his trust was in most high. This is what David's hope and trust was. And may it be ours. Will you stand with me? Now we get to say... Shabbat Shalom! Shabbat Shalom! Hey! Shabbat Shalom! Hey! Shabbat Thank you all here. Have a blessed rest of your Shabbat. Shabbat Shalom.